Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is Phil Stevens. I run Strength Guild, the Barbell Open, and I'm currently watching Meth Bus on TV in California. So. <laughs> nice. Nice. I, this is Dr. John Mike. I'm a professor. I've competed in Strongman. I like to eat. I work a lot, and uh, it is hot as hell pretty much everywhere in the country, and I am a national world champion hula hoop player. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) Impressive. Player. Today, we have Mike Beach with us. So we're going to get in with Mike, but, uh, you know, talk about him here in a bit. Mike is uh, the current national champion in Highland Games, correct? That's correct. U.S. national champion. U.S. national champion. Sweet. Not Lithuania. U.S., not Lithuania. (laughs) <laughs> or turkey hopefully so yeah not turkey yeah geez okay but. fellas hey i am going to add in a, a little bit of news here um later uh but i'm gonna drop out here again i'm gonna add some news and then i'm gonna turn things over to phil so he can um have a nice conversation with mike and do some news and the topic and everything else so i'm dropping out at this point but i'll i'll add something later so you guys can take it away strength and muscle sport news okay folks through the magic of editing and a little bit of uh, podcast time warp activity here uh, i'm back i feel way better i was just sniffling sneezing fits which was ridiculous and uh, contrary to a couple of comments we've had recently i do edit the show and I was not going to edit out sniffles and sneezes every five seconds. So it's just that time of year, I guess. Plus, outside my office here, I've got various flowering plants that are conspiring against me. So anyway, I feel quite a bit better now. i got some coffee in hand. I want to share two studies. Um, both of them are from labmanager.com. I've mentioned these guys before. A very cool source of uh, research if you dig for it a little. But, of course, I do that for you here. So... Um, I'm always keeping my eyes out for anything that's nutrition, sports-related nutrition, you know, body comp, strength. Um, and then we have two or three listener mails here. So let's get to this first one. Researcher finds truth to age-old maxim, work hard, play hard. So this is from Queen's University up there in Canada. It says, biology professor Lonnie Arson, don't see the word uh, name Lonnie that much, actually, has published a study that for the first time provides strong empirical support for a correlation between a motivation to seek accomplishment and the attraction to leisure. The maxim, work hard, play hard, can be traced back to at least 1827. It's long been used to express an implied connection between dedicated effort and having fun. So what um, Dr. Arson did with an undergrad was survey 1,400 undergraduate students up there at Queens. 
Um, they identified their age, gender, religious affiliation, cultural background. They were looking for correlations between different behavior traits. Uh, anyway, it says there was a particularly strong correlation between attraction to both legacy and leisure activities. Those inclined to work hard tend also to play hard. Now, when he says leisure activity, that's, I think, self-evident. Uh, legacy activities... Uh, there's some other references in this article that as human beings, we're aware that we are temporary, unlike other animals. So we tend to want to do some things to self-actualize, leave a legacy, right? That sort of thing. And those are the work hard uh, types of people. But it goes a little bit beyond that. It says these results also suggest three distinct groupings of individuals. And you can think about which category you might fall into based on their strongest motivational factors. Group one represented relatively apathetic types, those who displayed relatively weak attraction to things like parenthood, religion, work, and leisure. So we've got group one, the, the apathy types. Group two distinguished themselves through high attraction to both religion and parenthood, but with only moderate attraction to accomplishment in life or leisure. And then group three, the highly motivated go-getters. Maybe that's you. Uh, we're highly attracted to parenthood as well as to accomplishment and to leisure. So again, they're looking to uh, test the hypothesis, right? If you're if you're one of these go-getters at work, do you also want to play hard? And it looks like, yeah, you do. So this is a scientific approach to, that's validating, I think, something. You might say, well, this isn't news, Lonnie. Well, it, it might not be uh, to sort of common, you know, gym talk or that sort of thing but um this is empirical evidence like i always say you know science inches forward so thanks to lonnie arson and his undergrad uh laura we've got some interesting correlations here between these three uh groups of individuals so interesting stuff it says this study legacy leisure and the work hard play hard hypothesis was published in the open psychology journal so that's available online i believe Okay, so that's the work hard, play hard. And then this next one is apropos for our guest. Um, this is the epidemiology of injuries across weight training sports. So we've talked about this topic uh, in the past on Iron Radio, like how dangerous are uh, strength and muscle sports, right? And what joints are at particular risk or muscles or tendons. Um, so this is a a 2016 paper. So this is uh, new stuff by Keo and Winwood. Uh, it's either Keo or Keog, but I digress. It says um, weight training sports, including weightlifting, powerlifting, bodybuilding, strongman, Highland Games, and even CrossFit, uh, have been considered dangerous by some because of the heavy loads commonly used in training and competition. Now, heavy loads, yes, I might also add also, I think, occasionally awkward movements, right? There's a lot of positions that you see like a, a strongman do that would make the classic sort of exercise science, you know, our personal trainer, uh, textbook kind of person actually a little bit antsy. You know, they, they put themselves in almost compromising positions and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, heavy loads, and I might add even, you know... Um, Sort of that sport aspect where you're not always in a really strict, controlled movement. But uh, our objective 
was to systematically review the injury epidemiology of these weight training sports. Now, if you're not familiar with the term epidemiology, um, you know, uh, Dr. Nelson and I will talk about this relatively often, but this is just looking for relationships in the real world. So it's not cause and effect, but they're just kind of looking for correlations between things. And then it says, where possible, gain some insight into whether these uh, injuries uh, in these different sports could be also related to age, sex, competitive standard, right? So like entry level versus advanced guys, like our guest today, uh, or body weight class. So what did they do? It was just sort of a review approach of existing literature. They used PubMed, right? The National Library of Medicine. There's some nursing databases in here, different uh, online resources. Eligible studies included peer-reviewed journal articles only, so professional scientific type papers, with no limit placed on the date or the language of the publication. So results, what, what did they find? Only five of the 20 eligible studies had a risk of bias over 75%. Uh, that's one of the things you're going to see in review papers these days is they start looking for a risk of bias because sometimes that creeps into studies uh, even if there's you know well-intended researchers and they're trying to be as neutral as possible. But anyway, so uh, it says the risk of the five studies that I think they used was consider considered low. So... Um, while 14 of the studies had sample sizes over 100 participants, only four studies used a prospective design, so sort of looking forward as opposed to uh, you know, looking back. Here's the deal. Bodybuilding had the lowest injury rates um, of injuries per lifter per year. Let's see. With Strongman and Highland Games reporting the highest rates. I'm not surprised by that, actually. I think bodybuilding... Although there's some very heavy loads employed, things tend to be a little bit more controlled, uh, focused on the muscle, that sort of thing. Um, what anatomical sites were at risk? Let's see. The shoulder, the lower back, knee, elbow, and wrist were generally the most commonly injured anatomical locations. Things like strains, tendonitis, sprains. Uh, very few significant differences in any of the injury outcomes were related to age, sex, competitive standard, or body weight class. So even weight class. And I'm sure these guys will talk, Mike and these guys, about um, weight class and that sort of thing. So uh, in conclusion, it says weight training sports appear to have relatively low rates of injury compared with common team sports. And again, a lot of these other factors don't seem to play a big role. It's simply the fact that you are a bodybuilder or a Highland Games guy or gal, you know, that kind of stuff. So Anyway, so I thought that was relevant across the muscle sports. Let me add just something real quick here. We got a couple of listener feedback type mails. This first one is from Emma. Thank you, Emma. She says, hi, guys. I'm just listening to your podcast on, on habits, uh, where we had Mark Rogers on the show. I thought you might be interested in some recent research challenging the idea that willpower is indeed a limited resource. So uh, she sent us something from the P Public Library of Science, plus one. Uh, no evidence of the ego depletion effect uh, across task characteristics and individual differences and, and whatnot. So interesting stuff. So science is challenging that because we did bring up during that show that people have a finite amount of willpower. And I think uh, Mark gave some good examples uh, of why that's logical throughout the day. But just to be as fair as possible, so there is a paper out on uh, PLOS One 
uh, specifically looking uh, at that. The name I have associated with this is John H. Lurquin. So that's one. Thanks, Emma. Uh, I actually was taking a look at that. It is interesting. Science is going to challenge itself, right? That's how it works. Um, This next one is from Ben. This is a very long one, so I'll take some excerpts out of this, but Ben's a really nice guy. Uh, Hey, guys, I've written in a few times before with training questions, Uh, and then a year or so ago, one email thanking you for being a huge inspiration to me to start competing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Now, I do have a martial arts background, but this podcast is really not about that. But, of course, strength training is, you know, it can become a big part of those things. So I wanted to give you an update, Ben says. I'm competing, essentially today, actually, I'm looking at the calendar, uh, in New York City. So good luck, Ben. Um, Essentially, he's competing in the lightweight division, but he's dropped down from a heavier uh, body mass. Uh, And that's a lot of what this email is is about. So he talked about, I did this with simply eating a little less at dinner regularly and occasionally having a slightly smaller lunch. So he's taking a very no-nonsense approach. Uh, I train Brazilian jiu-jitsu six hours per week and spend two hours per week in a normal gym. Uh, That's been his routine all along, eight hours of hard physical work per week. He says, my point is it's not a ton. Uh, He's 36 years old. He only takes magnesium as far as supplements. Uh, Other than that, it's whole food, tries to get eight hours of sleep a night or at least, no drugs, and he says, I like beer. So... (laughs) Uh, so he, I think he's trying to play with his body weight set point a little, but he's again with the no nonsense approach. He says I use the Wendler five three one for basic programming to take some of the thinking out of it. Uh, he talks about using a trap bar deadlift for the first time in his life. Uh, supplemental work. He's doing what I consider some bodybuilding type movements. They can be pretty serious, you know, um, rows and chins and and that kind of stuff. Uh, dumbbell benching, but um, it's some applicable uh, supplemental work. Uh, He says, uh, more on diet, I know these days low carbs are popular, especially in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu community. Keeping carbs high and cutting fat, uh, it seems like a poor choice to many people, but it works quite well if you simply weigh and measure for just a few days uh, your input. He says his lunch has been old-fashioned oats, Greek yogurt, and peanut butter. So these, to me, look like almost traditional bodybuilding uh, physique type foods, dinner, chicken, potatoes, lots of vegetables. He said he never felt too hungry and his performance has been great. And I think that's important to right? monitor your performance. Anyway, I rambled a bit, but my point with this email was to say thank you for keeping my mind active and engaged in this sport. Hearing you guys do what you do inspires me to do what I do. Thank you. Uh, I thought also that you may find interesting my process through this. I know it's not the sport of powerlifting or bodybuilding, but I like using your lifting techniques and some dieting techniques uh, from those sports to make my approach to my sport more interesting uh, and hopefully more effective and fun. Lifting is great, and it's something I plan to do forever. Thanks for a wonderful weekly podcast. Stay, stay safe and strong, Ben. So this is a nice email, Ben. Uh, thanks for the update and the information. Uh, I know Phil and I, certainly almost anybody that's going to be on the show, we're huge fans that barbell and dumbbell training is enhances the quality of life in different sports this last one uh i hesitate to even read this because i don't like to suggest we might pursue someone to get on the show but i i often get emails from people uh about having someone be on the show sometimes it's they're uh, a little commercial or self-aggrandizing sometimes they're very you know just interested people that might make a good guest and we can't fit them all in because of schedules and, and whatnot frankly but this one uh, I reached out to Fortress. 
I followed up with Fortress early because I got this email from him. But it says, hi, guys, big fan of the podcast, and I have a great question, uh, guest question. This is from Vic. This may not be your typical guest, but I'm hoping you can find a way to fit in the Black Prince, Robbie Robinson, on your show for an interview. So let me just pause for a minute. Vic, he's exactly the kind of guest that I want the most. In fact, so much so, I said, Rob, would you want to come back on to do this? Can you squeeze out the time? And Rob said, absolutely. So Rob has known a lot of these old school bodybuilders. And of course, Robbie Robinson predates us. But um, this icon from the Arnold era is now doing his final guest posing in uh, tour in Europe before officially retiring at the age of 70. Now, can you believe that? He's, he's 70. And he's guest posing. It's amazing. He's the one bodybuilder from the 70s golden era who has kept it up consistently until today. He says he'll be back stateside in July. Here's an email address so you can contact him. He's responsive, you know, um, through email and whatnot, not just Facebook. Hope to hear him on your podcast, Vic. So, Vic, I'm going to aggressively pursue this if I can find a second to do so. Uh, Robbie Robinson would be fantastic. He was one of the guys I looked up to in the 80s, and I know Rob did too, uh, and that kind of thing. So uh, thanks for the heads up. I'm going to follow up on that. Anyway, having said that, this is the end of our little time warp. I'm going to roll things back to uh, Phil and John uh, and Mike. And, you know, Lonnie has his news. I got a couple bits that I want to add. I figured we better talk about the uh, first 1,100-pound deadlift. Yeah, it's crazy. Sure. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's just. I mean, it, it's be. I mean, it's certainly you know beyond impressive, and and and, and you know that I've, a lot of you know online you know weak ass people or just people are just going to say, well, it's not a true deadlift because you use straps, and you know, I mean, you get it's it's very very impressive regardless of you use straps or not. And I mean, you know, the people that usually say, well, you know, it doesn't count who use straps. Are likely the people that can't even really deaf four or five hundred pounds. Um, so regardless of regardless of such, it's just it's it's an amazing feat of strength and you know big props to uh, to Eddie Hall. Yeah, and it's, I mean it's, it's the sport. I mean the sport allows for straps and hitching, so he performs in that sport. Yeah. So uh, he should use every advantage that sure. he possibly can to, to leverage to get the accomplishment. I I don't see how anybody can have an issue with that. Yeah, I don't. That's it's. I don't have any issues. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive. But yeah, it's just. I mean, Brian Shaw's done it several times during training and competition. So what's the difference? Yep. Yeah, and you always get the the guys that are like, "Well, how much does he weigh?" Well, that doesn't matter. It's eleven hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Less than eleven hundred is what he weighs. <laughs> but another one that is uh, starting an internet buzz is about the CrossFit games and they've announced that they have a partnership with Glock and they're going to be giving away pistols to the winners. I think it's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it's uh that's something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the uh best strategy but uh <laughs> Hey, man, it's it's getting it's getting their name out there again. It's uh definitely yeah. something odd, so I don't know. I could care less. I mean, honestly, if you don't want it, just tell them I don't want it, you know, or whatever. But yeah, so what they're doing is they're giving they're giving the winners, uh, the men's and women's winners, and the team winners, they're giving them a voucher to buy uh, a Glock, you know, a certain type of Glock. They're giving them that, so they can use it or they can't. But I mean, yeah. honestly, man, that company that's brilliant that they're doing that because they understand they understand the controversy that goes behind it. They understand that. I mean, look, I, I'm I'm pretty close to the CrossFit community, so I. 
can kind of tell you, this might not be popular to say, but there's a lot of over-the-top kind of military and police worship in that circle, especially by the non-military, non-police among them. And I think this plays into that. And I think it kind of demonstrates that, that they kind of have this somewhat obsession with like the modern war, warrior mentality and want to be associated with it. And I think this is kind of playing into that a little bit. And, you know, it makes news, it plain and simple. But I think one of the things really telling, too, is that Reebok made a statement and they don't agree with it. So I think that's something if you're with the CrossFit folks, you got to, you know, Reebok's kind of your meal ticket. So you might need to pay a little closer attention to what your biggest sponsors think about who you associate with. It's just one part of it. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, of all the things to really, um, you know, give to the athletes or winners or whatever, I mean, why, you know, why Glock? I mean, there's just so many other, you know, companies and, and, and other incentives out there and um, I'm just I'm just curious to why they chose you know that route, and, and maybe because of just all the controversial you know stuff going on in the news and the world and stuff, and you know, but still, I mean, are they are they the people that get top placements or win? Are they required to do training? Um, you know, for um, uh, you know we- weapons training or, or somewhat something like that, or, or you know, do they already have training? I, I'll, I'll be curious to see how that would work. So. Well, I mean, they'll definitely yeah. have to do a background check like anybody else to get it. It's not like they're just going to hand like here. You're oh yeah, I, of course. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's like, yeah, I know what you're saying. They're like, you're, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, you're you know first place. Like, here's your gun. See you later. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think you hit it on the head. Why didn't they pick something else? I mean, because if they decided they were giving them a Kirby vacuum, there wouldn't be this much buzz. You know, it's purely a media thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's the point. And, you know, Dave Castro, the director of the games, he's a former SEAL. So, you know, I think they probably hit right in his wheelhouse and something that, you know, obviously, you know, that guy continues to train and use weapons. You know, that's been a part of his life. And I think a lot of the games athletes, you know, they're all kind of a tight knit circle at a certain level, like they all know each other. And they, they, they've all spent time at the range. And I'm sure it plays into their plays. Like I said, plays into their wheelhouse, kind of the stuff that they're into and things like that. So I think that you're seeing an expression of kind of what the culture at the very top is like and i think that's that's probably why you probably why that relationship happened yeah it's interesting the reebok's not on board now isn't that sponsorship about over with in that deal yeah it's been it's been on the rocks for a little bit um from the best i can tell because glassman the founder he just that guy doesn't know when to not say anything, um, but he's he's talked a lot about the way Reebok handles stuff, and I, I think, I, yeah, I would guess there's probably going to be some sort of change. He's like made recommendations that Reebok should be bought by another company or that somebody should oh. buy Reebok. Yeah, it's yeah, there's all sorts of weirdness going on. There. I wouldn't be surprised if that one, you know, starts to wane, which will be interesting to see what happens because, man, that's one of the big reasons you see. CrossFit on television is that Reebok oh, partnership. So. Well, I mean, in return, it's also one of the the only reasons you see people wearing Reebok now. That Fair point. <laughs> yeah, shoes, shirts, CrossFit, everything. Yeah. That's right. I mean, they got that UFC deal now, so they may be in a different place than you know what they were. You know, they, but again, that's not bearing as much fruit for Reebok as I think they thought it would. Because I mean, what all are you going to sell? Like MMA shorts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all. Those, that's all they wear. I mean, sports bras and MMA shorts. That's pretty much the only stuff that you know gets seen on the athletes. So, but yeah, that's you know. I, I think you could make the case that without CrossFit, things like that don't happen for Reebok. I definitely agree. Anyways, that's enough about that. Let's talk about you. So, <laughs> all right. Interesting <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, first things first, how we always get into this with people is just how did you get started in anything fitness at all? I mean, what's your background? Uh, let's see. Uh, pretty much like everybody else, man. I'm just a failed athlete. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I failed at real sports, so I started uh, started lifting stuff. Uh, let's see. I was a baseball player uh, all through my youth and through high school and everything like that. Um, I had the distinction of being a right-handed pitcher that threw in the low 80s in Texas. So that basically means that I'm nobody. <laughs> that means that uh, I may have, you know, could have developed into a fantastic D3 player or something, but uh, just kind of made the choice to go to college and try to learn instead. So while I was in, uh, in college, I actually picked up the sport of fencing. This is always the one that kind of blows people's minds. That they've, I haven't met many people that, I guess, go from fencing to strength sports. But um, So I started fencing at the age of 20. And... Um, you know, I picked that sport up there for a couple of years. I won a state championship at that. And then I, for almost 10 years after, I kind of chased the Olympic dream and um, was kind of trying to, to do that, trying to work my way up the pipeline, so to speak. And at a certain point, you know, I was pushing 30 and the kids that were beating me were 14. So that, you know, pretty, yeah, that pretty much meant I, I kind of took that as a sign. Like, all right, maybe it's time to start looking at something else. So I transitioned into coaching, fencing, and uh, I kind of just got into a, a do-whatever mode at that point because, uh, you know, I'd always kind of trained. Weight training had been just like a small part of what I did, you know, just to maintain some level of strength and speed and everything. Like that. I didn't really know what I was doing. I would just kind of do whatever I was told by coaches and stuff. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'd always kind of maintain the presence in the weight room. You know, and the strength was never really – my talent. I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't what you call, I, you know, I did my time in the weight room and then like I avoided it, but I wasn't a true gym rat. I didn't have a real aptitude for it. But after I got kind of declined out of fencing, I decided I'm just going to try everything I can. I'm just everything that comes up. I'm going to try it. And I started training a lot more. I started putting on weight. Um, you know, I'd always been a skinny kid and I just decided I want to put on some size. Finally did that. I got into powerlifting as, um, as a side effect of it, was terrible, absolutely terrible at powerlifting, just awful at it. I competed in the 198 class. I think I did one and 220. It's just terrible. But, you know, it was fun. It, that's, it kind of built a love of lifting and the community around it for me, which is, I think, probably the next best part beyond just getting stronger is the next best part of that. So tried a couple of strongman shows at middleweight and lightweight, did okay at those. I kind of figured out if, because I could move my feet and move in space a little bit more, I did better in that than I did in powerlifting. But, you know, I still wasn't anything to write home about. And just in that same mode, I, uh, I tried Highland Games. Uh, I just found out there was one in the town near me. I'd become friends with Matt Vincent and Andy Vincent um, at that time, and that was around the time that their amateur careers were starting. So I figured, ah, I'm going to do it too. You know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I tried it, you know, all, well, I had to be like 215 pounds of me or whatever at that time. Um, not like I'm any bigger now, but, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was a fun experience going out there with a, with bigger fellows like that. But I, the way I always say it is I didn't immediately suck at it. I was okay at it when I started, when I first did it. So I really got the bug. Like I kind of had a, you know, I had a background in throwing, even though it was baseball, it was overhand throwing. Like I had, I knew from, from fencing, I had pretty decent footwork and I was a little bit explosive. So those things kind of came together. I didn't have a track and field background like a lot of guys do. Uh, so, you know, but I found that I really liked it. I signed up for the next one, the next weekend, um, you know, bought a kilt, all that kind of silly stuff. And then, you know, here I am four or five years later, I just kind of progressed through and, you know, have 
been throwing ever since. I've been training to do that. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's been kind of my path to where I, to getting into the Highland games in a nutshell. Now you're national champion in the huge man class. Yes, in the huge man class. So yeah, I am, um, as of this, as of June, I am the, I'm the U S national champion in the lightweight class, um, in lightweight Highland athletics. And what that means is 200 pounds and under. Um, and I, you know, I'm pretty much like a lot of the guys, I exist right on the cusp of that weight. Uh, but yeah, that's a, it's a up and coming class. It, for a long time, it existed as a developmental class, which was, I mean, honestly, just a nice way of saying it was for like teenagers. <laughs> it was a, a way to give them a chance to compete because it was 190 and under forever. But as the sport started growing in popularity a little bit, which is still, you know, has a long way to go, but it started growing. You really started getting a lot more real athletes. I mean, you know, I say I, I'm doing air quotes when I say real athletes. Just bear that in mind. And uh, you started getting people, you know, that trained regularly that were, you know, adults that lifted. And, you know, it's pretty hard if you're a lifting adult that's not competing in a weight class sport to not be 200 pounds. It's pretty hard. I mean, if you lift weights and you eat somewhat like an athlete, it's pretty hard to not be 200 pounds. So I think the class kind of grew with that and realized that, you know, we're going to capture a lot more good athletes uh, that are, you know, of competing age or in the 20s and 30s if we expanded this and it certainly happened now you're getting some pretty pretty top-notch guys in that class all right guys this is just lonnie breaking in quickly uh we're gonna go to break and we'll come back for a sweet discussion Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, 
interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everybody, we are back. Again, we have Mike Beach, the current Highland Games national champion in the lightweight division. You're going to Worlds now too, right? I am, yes, October 8th. I'm going to Worlds in the uh, bustling metropolis of Mountain Home, uh, Idaho. Mountain Home, Idaho. <laughs> yeah. So for people that don't know, you kind of went into the weight classes. Now, what's the difference as far as the the events go, as far as lightweight and heavyweight? Yeah, so um, – and again, there's, you know, because we're you know, the fringiest of fringe sports, I guess, uh, you know, there's really there's really only two weight classes. You know, there's uh, there's big and there's little pretty much there's under 200 and over 200. So uh, the major we do the same nine events that the big guys do. You know, we do uh, we do two stones, a heavy and a light, two weights for distance, a heavy and a light, two hammers, a heavy and a light. You're seeing a trend there. We, we turn the caber, uh, we throw the sheaf and we throw the uh, the weight for height. The major, the really the only difference in the equipment that happens is in the heavy weight. So um, the weights for distance, um, for those that may not know, we have two events where we can throw a metal weight with one hand. Uh, it has it's basically a metal weight on a chain with a handle, and we can throw it any style we wish from the throwing area, but it has to be with one hand. So traditionally. It's a 56-pound weight and a 28-pound weight, the heavy and the light. What changes for the lightweights is that the 56 changes to a 42. goes down by 14 pounds or one stone. Um, and then we throw that same lighter weight, that 42-pound, we throw that for height when we throw that over the bar uh, as our generally, traditionally, our last event. So those are the big things that change. Also, the sheaf, there's some variation. Um, that's really, truly a North American event. Um, most times in Europe and Scotland, you're not going to see the sheaf toss, uh, which is, again, for the uninitiated, we take a pitchfork, jab it into a bag that's usually filled with twine, sometimes hay, sometimes all sorts of crazy stuff. It's a burlap bag, and we throw it over a height standard, and the height standard goes up and up and up. You get three chances at every height, last man standing wins. So we will throw a 16-pound sheaf. A lot of the bigger boy classes will throw a 20-pounder a lot of times. The pros will always throw a 20 um, so, you know, I've thrown the 20 a lot myself, uh, when there, you know, wasn't really a lightweight class or anything like that. I haven't always been a lightweight. I haven't always thrown a lightweight class, but those, those are the major differences that you're going to see. But every implement wise, everything else is going to remain exactly the same. The hammers are 16 pounds and 22 pounds. Um, and the stones are usually 16 to 18 pounds and then 22 to 26 pounds for the light and the heavy. Yeah, those are the major differences. I mean, beyond that, you're going to see body type differences. You're going to see, I think you see a lot of different athletic backgrounds show up in the lightweight Highland games. You get a little bit bigger variation. You know, when the at the top level with the big boys, you're going to see a lot of track and field, a little bit of strongman background, but usually at least guys that have at least some track and field background. Um, powerlifting strongman is going to be big. But, you know, you get a 
pretty wide variation. You get obviously track and field and lightweights, but you get like me, you get some baseball players, you get a basketball player, you get people that have competed in other, you know, odd strength sports like kettlebell sports and stuff like that. You get some, you get a, a, a different variation there for sure. You're definitely, I mean, even like my first Highland Games, God, eight or nine years ago, I guess. And you're seeing a huge influx now compared to then of like really good ex-collegiate throwers. Um, yeah. I've seen compared to then. It's like they found this thing they can do after college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, and we, we, we across the board hate all those people. Um, all of us non-athletes, we all hate them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, most of, most of my good buddies are former track and field athletes. So, but, uh, yeah, it's absolutely true. And I think, um, from what talking to them, um, a lot of it is that these guys and girls love throwing. They just love the art of throwing. They love training for throwing. They like doing it. And that's the part that they really loved about throwing in college. But when they, come to the Highland Games, they get to do all that without all the political bullshit and without all the waiting around and without all the dealing with people they don't want to deal with and having to be under, you know, under control of a coaching staff or a program that they may not be a fan of or something like that. They just, it's freedom to just go throw and enjoy yourself. And I think that's, and that's why everybody likes it. But I think for track and field athletes, that's why it holds a special place for them. And plus, yeah, if you're not going to the Olympics, what are you going to do with all that track and field experience? You know, yeah. if you're not, if you're not throwing the Diamond League or you're not going to the Olympics, there's not a lot you can do. If you're just one of those guys that's kind of a little under the standard or a lot under the standard, you can still have a pretty good career in Highland Games that way. Yeah. And what about – see, I don't even know this answer, but um, like in, in Highland Games, heavyweight, there's a pro class. Is there pro lightweight? There's not currently. We are, we are, we are currently amateur. Um, I would not be surprised if that happens. It'll probably be, you know, after I retire or whatever. But um, – I would not be surprised to see it happen because we're against all odds. You know, you would think the traditional wisdom is, you know, this is the heavy athletics. You're going to, you know, the traditional picture is, you know, big guys throwing stuff in kilts. Like people, you know, people, and I'm, I don't try to fool myself and think like, Ooh, I want them lightweights are going to be the feature. Like it's never really going to be the case. People go to the circus to see the elephants. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, like they want to see big guys perform. They want to see freak athletes. They want to see, just people that they don't see in them. They want to see Andy Vincent. You know, they want to see Dan McKim. They want to see those monster human beings do things. That's just, that's part of what they want. Um, but I think that there is a niche appeal and I think there's kind of a uniqueness to watching a guy my size or, um, Phil Sansada, who is, uh, you know, a national champion, uh, Scott Farr, who's a world champion. You know, these guys that are smaller, but are just fast as lightning. I mean, just that, that move like whirlwinds and that can keep up with those bigger fellas. I think there's a novelty appeal in that and watching small people throw heavy stuff. So I think that's starting to bear out. I think people, the relatability for a lot of guys that may train or work out, they like that. Um, you know, we're, we're probably going to live longer, so we could probably keep our fan base for longer. So we got that, go- we probably got that going for us. We got a more, a little more long-term appeal, but yeah, it's, it's been surprising for me. And just, you know, as an aside, I didn't always compete as a lightweight, you know, it's been around, especially as 200 and under has been around for a little while, but I was competing uh, in the A class, which is kind of the top amateur class right before pro. So I was competing as an A for a long time, and I was consistently giving up, you know, 60 to 100 pounds to everybody I was throwing with. And, you know, there was a lot of pride for me in being able to keep up with and sometimes beat those guys. That feels awesome to be able to do that. Um, But I saw that there was an opportunity, not just for me to, like, have some success, which is, you know, I, I, I luckily I have, 
but also to grow something, to be a part of something growing that was growing for the right reasons. You know, they, it wasn't just a group of people that were trying to, everybody was trying to get internet famous or whatever. It, people were genuinely trying to expand a sport. And I felt like there's real opportunity there. And I have a pretty good platform through my relationship with Matt and through Hate Brand Goods. Um, I have a really good platform to grow that class and show that, you know, athletes in this particular sport can come in different sizes, shapes, stuff like that, that it's open to different styles of athletes. And, you know, I, so I thought it was a good chance to do that and join kind of a growing class. It was full of a, a group of pretty stellar athletes. So that was, that was a big part of wanting to do it. The downfall of being a lightweight is, like, you get no change when you go Masters. Like, I get to go Masters in a year, and I'm looking forward to the lighter weight. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that, you're waiting for that 42 to come, right? Yeah, yeah, I think if you're a Masters lightweight, you should just throw, like, a, <laughs> everything should be half the weight, right? You should just throw the 28 all the time. Yeah, it's probably That's the one thing changed. everybody can look forward to. It's probably the one thing everybody can look forward to, the Masters class, is just the lighter loads. <laughs> Yeah, seriously, that's like just have some mercy on us. But yeah, I've, you know, I I was one of those guys. I said for a long time when I was throwing the A's, I was like, man, I think that forty two is just a that's a joke. I'm not when I turn masters, I'm not even going to do. It. I'm going to keep throwing the fifty six. But I uh, I've softened a little on that after throwing the forty two for a while because it is, it is it is luxurious, my friends. It is uh you know it's still heavy, but it's closer to a lightweight throw than a heavyweight throw. It's just in terms of technique and approach, weight feels, it's closer to lightweight throw. I threw the 56 yesterday um, just because I'm a ways out from Worlds, and I've got a, I've got a tune-up games between now and then in Charleston, South Carolina in September, and I'm going to throw the 56 there. And, you know, it's just good to keep in the repertoire, and it's I like using heavier implements once in a while, heavier stones, um, hammers and weights to reinforce position. I feel like that's a really good tool, an underutilized one for a lot of people, is to use stuff that's a little heavier for you to slow you down and make you hit positions because when you go back to the regular weight, you know, you'll have a little better mental picture of where you're supposed to land, where your feet are, where your body's supposed to be. Uh, but it was it was brutal yesterday, man. That's been months since I've touched that 56, and it took a little while to get rolling on it. But uh, it's, yeah, the 42, like I said, it's luxurious. It's a smooth ride, comparatively speaking. So let's talk gym then. So what is your what is your gym? Of course you throw a lot, but what are you doing yeah. now to stay, you know, in strength and conditioning shape for having you? Well, I always start by saying that uh, lifting weights and working out is cheating. So I don't I, – I believe that anybody that's lifting weights is cheating. I think you should just be throwing. That's it. Sorry. Just throwing and <laughs> eating and drinking. That should be the only things you're doing. Um, take, that's my recommendation, kids. Ebooks coming out in three weeks, $49.95. No lifting. <laughs> That's uh, that's my entire plan. Eighty pages. No, um, so I again, man. I, you know, Phil, you're familiar with this. I kind of have like this. It's, I use these words a lot. Do whatever. I have that philosophy a lot of times. It doesn't mean that there's no plan. That doesn't mean there's no approach. But I mean, I'm willing to give anything a ride and try anything, especially the weight room or a competition, anything like that. Um, I have, you know, I have that base from you know dabbling in powerlifting and strongman to where my familiarity with a barbell helps me a lot. And I know that there are a few things that always are going to be true with the barbell. You know, if I, and I'm a big proponent of block training, um, with a block periodization that, you know, at some point you need to add some volume. And then at some point you need to bring the reps down and the weight up. And then at some point you need to move moderate weight fast. So those philosophies are never, ever going to leave my training. 
So that's that's that, that's blo- that's step one, really. That's the foundation. I think it should be for any athlete, especially a strength athlete. Um, beyond that, though, I I'll kind of I'll dabble <laughs> to to say the least. And I think there's a you know what I'm going to say here probably you know based on the audience, it may not be the most popular thing, but I CrossFit very regularly. I'm a I'm a big proponent of CrossFit. Uh, I train at a CrossFit gym. I coach at a CrossFit gym. I'm a CrossFit level one certified. Um, it's a huge part of what I do and I integrate it for training all the time. Now, does that mean it's the only thing or like I just do what's programmed, you know, at whatever gym I'm at or I'm just doing Metcons? No, uh, it doesn't. So like right now, uh, I'm in the middle of a strength block right now because I came off of nationals. I did a little restorative work, um, restorative work, meaning just sit on my ass and eat donuts basically. Um, <laughs> that, then the, but right now, you know, I'm in that strength block and that's, I'm doing that, you know, I'm kind of using my own time to do that. But once in a like right now, I think it's two, three times a week, two, probably, you know, I'll do a CrossFit Metcon. I'll make sure that I get that in there. Um, you know, my strength block, uh, right now for the first time is actually being programmed by Matt and I, uh, Matt Benson and I run, um, another line of business called training lab where we train Highland games athletes. We put together the programming, the weight room programming, and they're throwing. And, uh, our head coach for the throwing lab, Keegan Dillon, he's actually programming my strength block. And it's very closely tied to pretty much what we're doing with the other athletes. So, you know, it's, there's a high amount of variation. Um, I have done a lot of programs where, you know, it's a very set solid rep scheme and, you know, like, you know, like, like Jim's program or, you know, like the, even a classic five by five way back when, or, you know, juggernaut method, things like that. Like I've done those where, you know, your rep scheme, you know, your percentage is coming in and you've got a predictable week over week pattern. And I can thrive in those. And I have been able to, I felt like I've made better gains with a little bit more variation in the movements, even when it comes to the strength work, um, variation in rep scheme, little variation in load, how I approach it, the timing, whether I'm on a clock, whether I'm not, I think those things help, whether it's just psychological or not, I don't really care as long as it works. And, you know, that's kind of what it comes down to. So the variation that I kind of, that ability to vary and continue to hustle that came from CrossFit, I think has been huge in my success. Like I leading up to the games that I threw all my numbers to qualify for nationals this last year, all I was doing was training for the CrossFit Open. That was it. I didn't, I threw when I could, but I mean, that was in the middle of a huge block of training leading up to the CrossFit Open, trying to get ready for that. So pretty much all I was doing was doing CrossFit up to that. And I threw numbers that qualify me for nationals. So, you know, I think a lot of throwers might get caught up in the idea that there is this particular method and these part, these particular barbell movements and way of training they need to be doing to get better when, I mean, really they should just focus on being a better athlete. And I think that's what made CrossFit work for me. Not so much that CrossFit was the magic bullet. It just helped me be a better, have a better athletic base. I could move better. My conditioning was better. Um, I didn't get tired. You know, my endurance was a little bit better. I felt a little bit more explosive because I've been doing so much Olympic lifting. And, you know, again, no surprise. Those things tended to lead to better throws. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one thing I was going to get into. Is I think one part that people miss the boat on in all strength sports, but I'd probably argue when I'm talking strength sports, I guess I'm talking strongman, Highland Games, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. Highland Games is a long day. Yes, <laughs> it it's is. It's a long day in the sun, you know. I mean, yep. 
uh, you see a lot of guys come in with a strength background that halfway through the day they're shot. <laughs> and so Absolutely. So, yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, conditioning, obviously, you know, if you're comparing it to, you know, running a triathlon or something like that, obviously Highland Games isn't going to be on that spectrum. But you're absolutely right. I mean, compared to, uh, you know, let's say a powerlifting meet um, or even Olympic weightlifting, which, you know, you're, you know, you're the time that you're in action is so very, very short comparatively. You know, there's two lifts and you only have so many attempts. But, you know, in Highland Games, you have nine events, three attempts. You know, it's 27 times you're doing something at maximum effort and speed uh, throughout the course of a day. And you, if you're winning those events, you may also take extras to do those. Or if they have, you know, two different cabers, like a challenge caber and a scoring caber, then all of a sudden you're running double the caber attempts, which is probably the most draining event that you're going to do, honestly. And I have seen it. Uh, you know, you wouldn't believe, but I've seen exactly what you're talking about, that, you know, the conditioning starts to come into play. My conditioning is... I mean, for the world of Highland Games, is very good. I mean, compared to a lot of other sports where conditioning is, you know, king, I'm not. I have a poor motor. But for this particular sport, it's pretty good. So I've never had that problem. But I think the most important thing it gets somebody is it also gets you the ability to train for longer periods. Yeah. I can go 90 minutes or more in a training session at a pretty steady pace, at a fetch-and-go pace, without getting worn out and without deteriorating in technique. And that's a big deal is being able to throw when you're tired. It's just, I mean, again, this is going back to CrossFit. A big thing that's when cross, CrossFit is coached well is that they teach it's more important to be efficient and have great technique and things when you're tired. When that starts to degrade, you're going to get slower and you're going to get worse and you may get hurt, especially if you're inexperienced. So my, I think that ability to go at a higher clip during training gets me greater throwing volume going into things. So I don't have to take as much time between throws, between events, stuff like that. Interesting. Let's talk about hate brand goods. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, so yeah, I am the, I'm the co-founder, co-owner of hate brand goods with our buddy, Matt Vincent. He's a two-time Highland Games world champion in the big boy pro class. So he's like a real thrower. Uh, he and I, we, like I said, you know, it kind of right as we were both getting into Highland Games, we, uh, we've been in conversation, you know, me and his brother have been friends also. And, uh, Matt finally just kind of had the idea like, Hey, um, I kind of want to run an ebook. Like, you know, he'd been talking about it for a while. He had the training lab program written up and he actually used me as a guinea pig for it. I since I was, he was getting throwers from all different levels to try it out. And I was kind of the newer, smaller kind of thrower. So he worked on it with me. I was a guinea pig, and it worked like gangbusters. It was awesome. Like, it was my first, you know, I'd done, like, three games or something, two or three games, and then I had an off-season because I didn't realize there was going to be an off-season. So I was like, well, what do I do for three months or four months, whatever? And uh, so I did training lab, and uh, I just came back and just wiped the floor with my first, uh, the open class that I threw in. I mean, it was awesome. So, you know, I was obviously convinced of how that program worked and how good the book was. And, you know, we talked a little bit more. I had been doing some web design stuff freelance at that time. And uh, he talked about wanting to, you know, do the ebook and sell it on a website. And I said, yeah, man, let's do it, whatever. Like, and I just honestly just did it for a buddy. Like, it wasn't like a business decision or anything like that. It wasn't like, oh, okay. I mean, we just did that. And then things started taking off and he wanted to do another book. And we kind of came to this, we came to a business agreement where, you know, like, it was actually, since there was money coming in, we had to figure out how to make it a business and all that kind of stuff. And we sold uh, some more e-books, and then we just had the idea, hey, let's do a T-shirt. 
So we did uh, our original, like the brew label, what we call it, uh, T-shirt. You know, we had a, a buddy, um, his name is Dan Marino, works for Sorenex. Shout out to Dan real quick. Um, not the Dan Marino from, uh, from the Ace Ventura movie. <laughs> I think that's the only way people know of another Dan Marino, right, is Ace Ventura. Um, so, yeah, he did that design for us, and it was awesome. And we sold a bunch here and overseas, and we were like, all right, well, I guess we can start doing apparel. So we kind of grew and grew, and uh, we actually got eventually referred to, well, I think for that shirt also, we got referred to uh, our very own lovely Phil here um, through Bing Color Print, his company. And uh, so we basically, we operate the business side and then Phil uh, does fulfillment and printing and everything out of the warehouse in Kansas. And we've been growing and growing ever since, you know, we have just a huge stock of items. Now uh, the biggest one we're probably most proud of is that maximum mobility sleeve that we put out, which is a, it's kind of a stretchy sleeve with acrylic knobs that you can put over a kettlebell and you use that for smashing. You know, we had kind of had the issue where a lot of people have like it's really easy to smash on your hamstrings and things in the back of your body when you can get your body weight into them but there are certain areas like you know quads pec shoulder tie-in certain parts of your back uh calves wrist you can't get you can't really get any pressure unless you smash them you know you do something like use the ex-wife like donnie thompson's um ex-wife and like you know but we wanted a more portable solution than that because you can't just carry one around you can't carry an ex-wife around with you so we figured like you know matt had this great idea of getting something that fits over a kettlebell but you you can take it off slide it in your gym bag and then it's done so you have like a portable smashing device wherever you go and uh you know it's 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 taken off it's been awesome people have responded to it really well so that's one that we're really really proud of um yeah i mean it's like the whole thing is based around a philosophy you know the the major question is always like what is that hate thing what does that what does that mean and you know if you've read any of matt's books in the intro for his books he talks about the hate, as he calls it. It's H-V-I-I-I, Roman numerals V-I-I-I-8. Um, so, you know, he sounded out. And, you know, it's the idea it comes from him and Andy, his brother, you know, just seeing guys do strength sports and kind of joking like, yeah, that guy hates himself. When they see somebody really get fired up for a lift or really go to a dark place to get a lift or to get an event, he says, that guy hates himself. But it's not a bad thing. It's not a, po- it's, it's, it's not a negative thing. Um, you know, the way I always put it is that it's taking, it's the idea of taking a negative emotion or experience or something that's just bad, you know, whether it's inadequacy, whether it's shame, whether it's, you know, not liking the stage where you are, not having reached the goals you want to, taking that negative stuff and turning that into a positive result, whether that's making a lift, getting a big throw, um, overcoming something personally, overcoming something in business, like taking that negative stuff and instead of ignoring it, and, you know, pretending everything's all happy and great, embrace it, but turn it around and make it something positive. You know, don't, don't go to the well and just wallow in it. Don't just think about the negative. Think about how can I take what I'm feeling and turn that into an actual positive result, not just a positive feeling, a result. How do I make a positive result out of it? So that's, I think that core message has kind of resonated with people. I think that's, Again, we're not the only people selling T-shirts and, you know, shorts and cool stuff. We, we emphasize quality and whatnot, but we're not the only ones selling good quality stuff out there. But that message, I think, is what matters to people. That's why they want to identify it. That's why people – that's why I wear the stuff. I identify you know, with that brand, with that idea, and I want to communicate that brand. I want to have this conversation I'm having with you guys with as many people as I can because I feel like that's a super positive thing. I think it's something that's gotten lost. People try to ignore the negative, ignore negativity or ignore negative stuff when they really should be harnessing that a lot more. 
So you got the Worlds coming up. You just did Nationals. You got a warm-up game. What's after that, man? You going to move up to heavyweight and try and play with the big boy? <laughs> uh, I've thought about it, man. I'm not going to say I haven't thought about it. And like I said, you know, I was there competing with him for a long time. Um, it, it'll be interesting if, uh, you know, well, you know, first I got to get through Worlds. Uh, you know, I got to do like the, I got to do the NFL press conference. We're just taking it one game at a time, Phil. Um, <laughs> you know, God will win a few, but no, uh, you know, I got to get through Worlds. and That's no slouch. You know, the guy that I beat at Nationals, John Oden, he's a former pro. He used to be a bigger boy, um, got as big as like 235, 240. Um, you know, but he, he cut down for health and injury reasons, and now he throws in the lightweight class. And he's a monster. I mean, he's, he was really something to, to try to, it was really something to try to beat him at nationals. Like he it was just back and forth all day. It was close. Um, I know that he's not thrilled about having lost to me. And I'm not saying like, he's, you know, he, he's a nice guy. He was perfectly gracious and everything like that, but I know he's got the same mindset I do that he doesn't like losing. So I know that he's showing up at worlds just tuned up i know that he's going to be even more of a monster so that's you know that's the next thing to deal with um so i got to be on top of my game but yeah i've considered um you know things whether whether they go well or whether they don't at worlds you know i've considered oh, maybe i'll give another shot at you know going up to the big boys i feel like i'm throwing better as a lightweight than i was as when i was like 225 i feel like i'm throwing technically better and some of my distances are better i'm beating prs that i had when i was 20 30 pounds bigger so I, you know, that's, there's something to that. And I don't know if it's just because of the weight loss. It could just be because of experience and the fact that my training volume went up because I was motivated to do something like win nationals, win worlds. Maybe that's probably more to do with it. But yeah, it'd be kind of fun. I mean, maybe pack on another, you know, 15, 20 pounds. I'm never going to be a 250 pound athlete. I can tell you right now, I'm never going to do it. I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to put on weight. I've tried to be the guy whether it's, you know, a psychological block, whether it's a mental block or whether it's just how I'm built, you know, my, you know, my, my basal metabolism or whatever, like I just, I can't do it. So, you know, it took, it's a real struggle for me to be over 215 pounds. So it'd be fun to try to see how I did now to see if I could take a shot at it, see if the extra weight added some distance, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not building a plan yet for one, you know, it's a ridiculous sort of pseudo sport slash hobby that you know i throw rocks and sticks in a field so i don't make super long-term plans based on it but at the same time you know it's something that i love and i like competing with the guys in the a class i like competing with the guys you know that are at the top and being at that level so i don't know we'll see we'll give it a shot i feel like i could, I could give them a run if nothing else like i said i you know be the skinny guy beat some bigger guys and humiliate in front of their girlfriends i guess that's that's a plus <laughs> right yeah yeah well, we'll call it there, and good luck at the uh, the world, and onward from there, man. Yeah, man, no, I appreciate it, and thanks for uh, thanks for the time today, man. It's always good to talk thanks, to you guys. Man. I'm gonna take a nap and uh, drink <laughs> some more coffee. So, sweet, yeah, do it in that order, though. You'll thank me. Yeah. So, all right, guys, we'll call it there. Lonnie, put an ending on there, and uh, we'll we'll just call it a day. So, all right, fellas. Well, hey, again, I appreciate it. Yep, I'll talk to you later. Later, bud. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on 
your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good. Uh, Knee sleeves, wraps of some kind. Things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, Please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.